And we are here to worship in song, in sermon, in lifting our hearts and souls and minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Amen. We're not here for any other purpose, at least I pray that you are not. We are back with Job. And I want you to know there's a courtroom drama that is about to open up in chapters 9 and 10 of Job. You know we left him last week. He was somewhat miserable after uh, Eliphaz and Bildad had addressed his issues. They were, we've already determined that they were really not concerned with his struggles, with his crisis, with his pain, as much as they were in responding to his words. We all know that we say certain things when we're in pain and when we're struggling that we wouldn't otherwise say. And it's at those low points in our lives when we pray that our true friends don't hold us accountable for certain things that we say. Well, here's this courtroom drama. Job is not looking for salvation. He is basically looking for vindication. He feels that he's innocent. He cannot approach God because God is too holy, too removed, too invincible, and too invisible to be reached. So, he lays his claim out anyway. And he's also responding. Now, here's the interesting thing. As he responds to two of his three friends, the third one, Zophar, comes next week in Job's response to him. But as he responds to two of his three friends, he is defending himself, basically. So he is the defendant in this courtroom trial, as well as the plaintiff, because now he is bringing his case to God, if you will, to uh, prove his innocence, because he does feel that he is innocent, and that's why he's looking for vindication. So we'll pick it up with Job as being the plaintiff, and as he addresses God, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, then Job replied, Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Job uses a lot of courtroom uh, language in his defense of his own self. Words such as dispute or argue or judge, innocent, summoned, hearing, justice, guilty, arbitrator, all are courtroom words that Job throws out uh, to confront his situation. And like I said, he is not asking for salvation at this stage. He's asking for vindication because he is there trying to prove that he is an innocent man. He's feeling wronged by God at this point. But he doesn't feel like he can even approach God. And as he is there in this situation, Job begins to ask three basic questions through these two chapters of God. Number one, he asks, If I could stand before God, what would I say? How would I plead my case? You may be asking the same questions. Maybe you've asked that question of God before. Maybe you're asking it now. You want to know, you know, if, 
if I could really see the face of God, if I could stand in front of him, how would I plead my case? Remember, Job has, has really come to the end of his life as far as he knows. He is still covered in sores. He is still uh, very ill, weak in body, mind, and spirit. He has still lost his ten children. He still lost his business, his home. Everything is gone. He is still sitting on the ash heap in the garbage dump outside the walls of the city. And his three friends are certainly not helping matters at all. They accuse him one right after another. Job, your suffering is great because your sin is great. Don't ever get over that. Obviously, you need to repent. See, you and I have access to what went on behind the scenes. Job didn't have that. Job didn't realize that, that God was trying to prove something to his adversary, Satan. And he was using Job to do that. But in the process, you'll see that God is also strengthening Job through the entire process as well. Drawing him closer to himself. Strengthening him in his moral as well as his spiritual fiber. But it's not going to come without a little bit of uh, restrictions from Job on God. Because Job is at the end of his rope. He said, this is it. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. Job says, to, how can I dispute with him? Talking about God. How can I find words to argue with him? Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. And then in verse 20. He says, even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. How can I stand before God? And then what would I say? Have you ever had that experience? Boy, I've talked to a lot of people over the years. People who have had uh, terminal illnesses. People who have lost everything they've had uh, in their business ventures. People who have lost children and, and lost loved ones and relationships have soured and just any number of things that have transpired and they come to that place in their life where they say how you know I, I just I don't feel that I am deserving of the treatment that I'm getting from God I don't feel that that I have done whatever it, I've done to deserve what I'm experiencing but how do I prove my innocence Job says he certainly didn't think he deserved what he was experiencing, regardless of what Eliphaz and Bildad said to him. He didn't feel like he was deserving of that. And then you come to question two. How then would I prove my innocence? Verse two, he says, I know this is true. How can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? God is an immortal being. God is perfect in every aspect. God is never anything but innocent. And yet here we are in our flawed state trying to come before God the perfect uh, being that He is and prove ourselves innocent. How do we prove our innocence? 
verses 15 and 20, he says in those verses, Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. In verse 20, he says it this way, Even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. And if I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. Chapter 10, verse 2 says, I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Now, some of you feel the same way. You come to that place in your life, in your walk with the Lord. You've tried to be faithful. You've tried to be prayerful. You've tried to be trusting of God. And then everything collapses around you. And when it collapses around you, you come to that place where you just simply look up and scream, What have I done? Why me? What is it about my life that Job is saying that makes you want to pick on me because I'm innocent, I can't prove it before a perfect God, but I am laying my case out. Well, and then there's that third question that he asked. What if I change my attitude and be more positive? Look at verse 27. He says, If I say I will forget my complaint, I will change my expression and smile. He says again in verse 30, what if, Even if I wash myself with soap and my hands with cleansing powder, what if I cleaned up, Lord? I mean, here's a guy on the ash heap, a guy in the garbage dump. You know he smelled ripe. Wow. And so here he is. It's one of those situations where so many people uh, think if, you know, if I just put on a smiling face, things will get better. Well, they're not getting better. Or if I just cleaned up. I know we always counsel with people what you need to do. You need to get out of bed, take a good bath, shower, shave if you're a guy, you know, and, and just put on a clean suit of clothes. Job says, what if I do that? Well, I haven't changed anything. That's my problem, Job's saying. It's the old saying, like, they told me to cheer up. Things could be worse. So I shared up. Sure enough, they got worse. That's Job right now. He cheered up. Things got worse. He said, will it, will it affect my situation or my attitude or my condition if I just put on a smile? Or if I just cleaned up? I don't like what I look like, he's saying. I don't like what I'm experiencing. I don't like my attitude. Would that help? Well, the reality is, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Well, there's the plaintiff. There's Job. And then we come to the second character in this courtroom drama, and that would be the judge, God. There he is at his judgment seat, and he is the one that, that Job is trying to plead his case with, though he can't see him physically. He knows he's there. But he is so far removed from mankind, Job is saying, that it's hard to communicate. But 
He says in these two chapters that God is awesome. Look at verse 4. His wisdom is profound. His wisdom is profound. God is awesome in wisdom. We, we know that no one else has the wisdom that God has. We know that when we think that wisdom comes from above, James says, the only good and perfect wisdom comes from above. We understand that God is the source, the originator of wisdom. And secondly, he said there's nobody more powerful than him. Look at his poetry here in, in verses 4 through 13. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the seas. He is maker of the bear in Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed. Miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes by, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. And he continues by simply saying, If he snatches away, who can stop him? Who can say to him, What are you doing? God does not restrain his anger. Even the cohorts of Rahab cowered at his feet. And then again, in verse 19, he says simply this, It is a matter of strength. He is mighty. It, if it is a matter of strength, He is mighty. Oh, God is all-powerful. When we look at the Webb telescope that's, that keeps sending back photos now, of there, it's a, like a million miles away from planet Earth right now, taking photographs of, of nebulae and, and stars that are, are dying and stars as a result that are being born. And they talk about the, the nebula, the, the star sanctuaries, and the star nurseries, and all of this. And you're thinking, wow. God is the creator of the universe. Amen. And like the psalmist, we have to ask, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Who am I, Lord? I'm, I'm a puny person here on, the, on planet Earth, on the third planet from this sun in this particular solar system in this particular galaxy and here I am who am I to lay my claim to you Lord God I haven't created any of these things I'm not the creator that you are certainly not anything like you and yet you created me who am I he is all in all and Job is awed by the existence, the presence, the power, the performance, the persistence of God Almighty. Wow. Well, we could leave it there, I suppose. But there's a third character. There's a mediator. Job comes to the point where he says, you know... My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. In verse 25 and following. They skim past like boats of papyrus, like eagles swooping down on their prey. I say, I will forget my complaint. I will change my expressions and smile. I still dread all of my sufferings. 
for I know you will not hold me innocent. Since I am already found guilty, why should I struggle in vain, he says. So he comes down. He says in verse 32 and following, He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. There is no court that I can take God to. There is no vindication because man is guilty. But what he says, If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that His terror would frighten me no more, then I would speak up without fear of Him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. Wow. You see, in verse 33, in the King James Version, it says, If only there were someone to mediate between us. King James uses that word, daysman, D-A-Y-S-M-A-N. The Hebrew uh, interprets that word to mean to act as an umpire. Uh, some translations have put it as mediator, to act as an umpire, a mediator. Job wants a mediator to represent him before God. He said, but there's not one around. Who can represent me? Who's any better than me at presenting his case? I really need a mediator. I need that umpire, if you will. Well, you and I can look forward because we have looked back some 2,000 years at Jesus Christ. Job didn't have that luxury of knowing that Christ Jesus is our mediator. And yet, you and I have that. Well, Paul, the apostle, said it to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 through 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man himself, and that's Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. 1 John 2, verse 1 says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Wow. A lot of people want to think in the world today that there are many roads to God, that there are any number of mediators between us and God, but the Bible says there's only one. There's one God, one mediator, and that is Christ Jesus. And so you and I have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Jesus told the disciples on the night before he was betrayed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man shall enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And on and on. God so loved you that He gave. He gave His only begotten Son. You see, He took on the flesh of mankind to show mankind how to access the Father. That through Jesus... 
we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can call upon Him as a young child would call upon his father, Abba, Dada. We can call upon God because of the mediator, Jesus. But for those of us that believe in Him, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Job didn't have that luxury of knowing about the Messiah. He knew that he needed a mediator. He knew that he was not up for the task. He knew that there was not a single human on the face of the earth that has ever lived, that was living then or ever will live, that could really meet the test of being a mediator between man and God. But God, but God knew and sent His only begotten Son into this world, took the initiative, put flesh on Himself, and He became that mediator between mankind and God. Wow. Oh, when you read Job, you've got to read that. He says, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. To the world, we say, as believers in Christ Jesus, boy, do we have good news for you. When you take your case to the Lord, to God, when you take it through Jesus Christ, it has direct access to the Father. Wow. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through your parents or your spouses or your children. You don't have to go through your friends. You go directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Amen. We have a mediator. Do you know Him? Have you trusted Him? Have you found Him to be true? He says, oh, someone to remove God's rod from me so that His terror would frighten me no more, that I would speak up without fear of Him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. I cannot. There are those who are listening to this broadcast here personally or online who simply can say, I don't have a mediator. I never felt like I could call upon God. I could, I could access Him. I never felt like God cared for me. I never felt like I was worthy enough for God's love. I never felt like I had, could have entrance into God's presence. Well, let me introduce you to your mediator, Jesus Christ. If you've never met Jesus Christ, He is the mediator that we're looking for. Wow. Oh, and he's up to the task, by the way, and can do it for you. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, you may be also. In my Father's house are many rooms. I got one for you. But He is our mediator. There is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all people. But for only those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior is that ransom effective. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? 
Maybe you've been going through some of these experiences like Job, and, and maybe it's a courtroom drama for you. Maybe you feel like, if I could just take my case before him, I feel like God has dealt uh, unseemly with me. I feel like God has been unfair to me. I feel like God has, has singled me out for treatment that He wouldn't give others. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like you've just been put upon by God. Be honest with Him. Job is. And Job ultimately gets an answer. Do you know that when God finally responds, and we're going to get to that in chapter 38, you know how many questions God asked Job in rapid-fire succession? Seventy-seven. Oh, yeah. Talking about overwhelming the boy. Just kind of pull it up, Job. And it's my turn to respond. And he will. But only because God loved Job. And he wanted him to understand who he truly was. Who he truly is. And who he truly will be for all eternity. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, you cannot know God the Father. It's impossible because Jesus is our only entrance into God in a relationship with God the Father. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God the Father. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. God says, you love my Son, you love me. You don't love my Son, you don't know me. It's there in black and white. So, here's that courtroom drama. Job, you've got an advocate. You've got a mediator. You've got a daysman. You've got an umpire that is willing to mediate your situation with God the Father, the judge, the king of kings, the judge of all mankind. He's there. Do you know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's the question that we ask today. Because if you don't, you don't have an advocate with the Father. Now, you may be here today, maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're online and you'd like to talk to somebody, give us a call. We'll be more than happy to talk to you about your relationship with the Lord. You're here this morning. You're looking forward to putting your life in the hands of God. Because you know that through Jesus Christ, you have access to the Father. And you want to place your trust now in Jesus, His only begotten Son. Maybe you've uh, never followed Him in public profession of faith. I don't know what you're waiting on. But today, there's never been a better day to do it than right now. Maybe you're looking for a church home. This is a great place to serve God. What a great church family we have. And it's growing and you can grow with it. And for all of us, this is a time for reconsideration, reevaluation, looking in the mirror at ourselves and asking the Lord, Father, we know we're not innocent. We know we're not worthy of your love. We're not worthy of your salvation. We're not worthy of your grace. But because of grace, by faith, through Jesus Christ, we receive it. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? This invitation is for you. Would you stand with me as we have a word of prayer? <clears throat>
Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us for this blessing. Lord God, I know there are people that are in the process of making decisions of some magnitude. Lord God, be with them that they make it clear today. Don't let another day go by without these decisions being manifest. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise you for what you're accomplishing here. And Lord, may you be glorified above all in everything that we say, everything that we do, and every decision we make. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing the hymn of invitation, won't you come pray with me about what the Lord is laying on your heart?